Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, it's the podcast. Well, I hope it's the podcast. It hasn't been the fucking podcast for the last two weeks. No. It's been shit. It's been awful. We've done two incredibly good podcasts in the last fortnight, and they nobody is ever going to hear them. They've they've been lost. They were Can really funny. It? No one's going to. So we had to do this same apology last week, yeah. and then that got lost. <laughs> so nobody's heard that apology. So now we have to apologise for that apology yeah. plus the loss of the two podcasts. I'm, but I'm just sad that Luke never. And people won't get to hear Luke becoming hysterical over the Michael Bay story. This is a shame. That was lit. That was one of the best things I've ever done in my yeah. life. Right. Yeah. But let's not talk about the past. Let's not dwell no. on the past. Let's look to the future. <laughs> it's only just begun. It's a bit early for Christmas. It, well. But boy, do we have a podcast for you this week. Incredibly full to bursting, brimming with goodness. Uh, extra long as well. A little bit of extra length, Luke. Ooh, that's what we like. <laughs> Very and I should that. also say happy Halloween to you if you're joining us, unless you're listening to the podcast a little bit later, in which case, happy bonfire night. There you mm-hmm. go. Or if you're only just catching up, Happy Christmas. Yeah. Don't really mind. Whatever time of the day or night, year, month you're listening to this, welcome aboard. Uh, so not only do we have some extra special spooky bits, we have got a shit ton of special guests today. Uh, we have got uh, a couple of the uh, lovely people from Thor. Is mm-hmm. that right, Chris? Yeah, director Alan Taylor and producer Kevin Feige. What are they going to the chat about? Marvel Legends. Yeah, talking Thor. I don't know because I've not heard it. That was... a. Uh, Tom conducted that interview, Tommy Butler. Oh, lovely Tommy Butler. It's quite um, a thoughtful discussion that they have, I believe. We're going to forget you actually said that. Okay. <laughs> right. But also, in the flesh, and it, I, I feel a bit uncomfortable using the words flesh around this gentleman, Ooh. because whenever, you, whenever he films any sort of flesh, it seems to end up being splattered over four walls. Mm. Um, he is the, he's the prince of plasticine, <laughs> the king of claymation. Very good. It's Lee Hardcastle. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Lee. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, so I met you back in Glasgow Fright Fest earlier in the year yep. because you made a claymation movie that ended up in the ABCs of death. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, what was your movie? My well, the segments. The segments all began with a letter that uh, was the start to the word of the segment, and mine was Tears for Toilet. And what happens in Tears for Toilet? Um, a child comes face to face with a toilet monster while his parents are trying to potty train him and it ends uh, not very well. It ends badly, doesn't <laughs> it? Yeah. So but it's very funny. Thank you for joining us. We're going to have a, a big long chat about claymation and all the movies you've made and influences and all that kind of stuff a little bit later on. But first, let's catch up with uh, everything that's been happening in the world of gaming and the films this week. Many things, many things. So, okay, the big one... For us, I guess, is Blockbuster once again has gone under. So it's entered administration for the second time, um, which is sad in and of itself. But the really upsetting thing is the fact that they will not be honoring next gen console pre-orders um, at all. Right. So if you want, you can get a refund. You'll get a refund if you put a deposit down. Yeah. But yeah, they won't be able to get them to you. Um, and we're not quite sure what happens with that stock now. Well, surely... Oh, okay. So we don't know if they've already... If they've already bought the stock... Here's the thing. If the stock yeah. is already here in the UK, then I don't know. Is there an argument that says it might be allocated to places like HMV and Game and you'll be able to get them there? Are they going to open them up? Don't actually know. Mm. 
which is a bit worrying, but it's gutting. You know, you're less than, you're less than a month away from the consoles coming out. You yeah. think you're going to get it um, on day one. You find out you're not. It's possible it's not going to happen. That's a terrible thing. Yeah, so that's really upsetting. And um, it's pretty grim what's happening at Blockbuster just anyway. Like it's, yeah. That's a lot of people losing their jobs. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion on the day but, in terms of them closing. And I mean, Lee, when was the last time you went into a Blockbuster? Oh, um, it was to visit my friend, actually, because he, he was the manager at one in Leeds. <laughs> oh, no. And um, I think, I, I, I'm glad that um, it shut down, actually, because um, the amount of times it got robbed, that place, and he, he used to get beaten up, like, quite often, actually. Really? Yeah, people used to... Oh, and, and at one point, they had to have a door man on the... Uh, stood, at, stood at the door of Blockbusters because people were just coming in smacking him and then taking a load of DVDs. Oh <laughs> well, the hilarious thing is you think about the kerfuffle, everyone being like, oh, we're not going to be able to rent games next gen because of all this DRM and stuff. You're not going to be able to rent games next gen because there's nowhere to rent games that's for next gen. That's a very interesting point. So that's a bit obsessing, but there we go. I can't remember the last time I went into a Blockbuster. I'm still getting over Ritz. Yeah, Ritz. <laughs> Classy stuff. <laughs> I went to a Hemel Hempstead one a while ago, but that closed in the first wave of Cullings. I don't suppose you've been to one for years because you get you get given films and you get to go and see films. Yeah, yeah I sometimes have a little. I'd have a little browse every now and then, see what's around. Sell good popcorn, good what, snacks. What was the problem then? Where did they go wrong? Video on demand, <laughs> torrenting. Yeah, I mean it's got to be torrents, isn't it? Not that anybody here is condoning any sort of illegal behaviour, but uh, yeah, torrents. Are, why why are you going to rent a film for for three, four, five quid? when you can go and download it. Or if you've got Netflix for a tenner a month, just watch everything you ever want. Oh, wasn't it really disappointing when you turn up to Blockbusters, perfectly willing to rent out a video, only to discover that every single copy in the shop had been sold out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they did that promise, didn't they? If every copy is out, you get it for free. Oh, yeah. Next time. yeah. But you're like, well, I don't want it next time. Yeah. I want it now. Yeah. yeah. Dickheads. It's Dickheads. Like, it's, it's sad. But bad time. Our thoughts with everyone who's yeah. Yeah, losing their jobs there. Hope you uh, managed to find something. Um, I got a bit of news, uh, some Marvel news. So last week, Ben Kingsley was talking about a secret Marvel project he was working on. Mm. Didn't say anymore. Apparently, the uh, the details of that project have been leaked. Now, if you haven't seen Iron Man 3, this is a slightly spoilery, so scrub through this bit. But um, basically, it's... So if you have seen Iron Man 3, you know that he's not really the Mandarin, and it's kind of a hoax almost. Yeah. Um, well, they're going to make a film about... A short film about the real Mandarin. So uh, what... Uh, the story that came out, um, the quote is, The real Mandarin is furious with Aldrich Killian and Ben Kingsley's character, Trevor Slattery, for the mockery they made of the real Mandarin's identity and legacy. The real Mandarin wants to set the record straight. Interesting. So they're going to be setting up a new Marvel villain, pretty much, okay. in a short. That's quite exciting. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, our argument was you can't really do the Mandarin in this day and age because he's just a bit of a racist character, really, mm. but if they can figure a way to, to make it right. Because there were people that loved that character that were pretty pissed off with. I thought it was handled really well. You've seen it? No, I've only, <laughs> seen, I've only oh. seen number one. Do you know what? I saw number one. I didn't bother with number two. Yeah. Because I heard number yeah. two wasn't very good. I did that. But mm. number three is brilliant. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it is yeah. very good. And it's written by the same guy that did Monster Squad. It's written by, yeah, Shane Black. Yeah, yeah there you go. Exactly. Yeah, course, yeah. That's the only reason I'd watch it is because of that. And it, you can tell it's Shane Black as yeah, well. Yeah, The it banter is. in it and the... Once you're out of this podcast, nip down to Blockbusters and rent it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sorted. Uh, there's been a bit of an issue about Call of Duty, the new one that's coming out quite soon. Yes. Yes. Now, I don't know, when I think of Call of Duty, for some reason, I automatically think of Xbox. Yeah, no, they've had a long, a long-standing relationship with Microsoft, yeah. yeah. So why is it then, why is it that it seems to me that when Call of Duty is released on next gen, uh-huh. 
the Xbox One version is is going to be what inferior to the PS4 version? Ooh, strong, strong words, Stuart Reed. Inferior. Well, well, let's let's look at the facts. Let's look at the hard facts. All right. So, seems that Call of Duty is going to run at 1080p on the PS4, and it's only going to run at 720p on the Xbox One. Mm. The Xbox One is going to upscale it from 720p to 1080p. Now, I believe they're both going to run at the same number of frames per yep, second. They're both uh, 60 hitting 60 FPS. frames a second. But surely, if it's upscaling from 720 to 1080, the actual quality is fundamentally going to be worse well, than, like than the PS4. Polishing a turd, really. Exactly. And <laughs> sprinkling some glitter on the top. <laughs> so this is the interesting point, because obviously... Every Xbox fans are coming out saying, oh, it doesn't matter, who cares, whatever. Hmm. You but, would say that, wouldn't you? Well, this is what they're saying, you know, it's upscaling, it's going to be the same thing. But the point that's being made by other people is, well, clearly, developers are finding it easier to optimise yeah. on the PlayStation 4. Because apparently there's rumours around that Titanfall, which yes. is an Xbox One... Uh, so that hasn't been, we game. haven't had anything confirmed on Titanfall, but we do know that, you know, the Call of Duty is now being confirmed. Um, I know Killer Instinct as well yeah. is, um, I mean, Forza, as far as I'm aware, has been confirmed as 1080. So it is, right. it is doable, yeah. um, but it just sounds like third party developers, like they had with the PS3 when it first came out, there is a bit of a learning curve. That yeah, but that's bizarre because aren't, fundamentally, aren't the, aren't the basics basic architecture of both these next-gen machines pretty much the same. You'd assume so, and they can maximise it very easily on PC, and I know the Xbox is slightly closer, I believe, to a PC architecture. Mm. So I, I think... You think that would be easier for them? Yeah, I, I don't quite understand how it's happened, but it, it's, it's interesting in any way, as you yeah. can imagine. People were pissed. Well, we've had an so. update as well from Infinity Ward's Mark Rubin. He has confirmed Call of Duty Ghosts will run natively at 1080p on the PlayStation 4, and he's upscaled to 1080p from 720p on the Xbox One. He said, we optimised each console to hit 60 frames for a second, and the game looks great on both. There you go. Mm. Well, because there was a kerfuffle with us about this. The whole story was, there was embargoes, no one was allowed to talk about certain things. It was all very confusing, supposedly. And then um, it all kind of kicked off, because when we did our preview event of Ghosts, it was done on PlayStation 4s. Right. And because of their long history with Microsoft, everyone was like, why wasn't it on the Xbox One? That's what they always do. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where it all started. And then but rumours there- of a patch. Hmm? There's rumours of a patch, aren't there? There are rumours of a patch, but interestingly, Rubin, has, Rubin hasn't mentioned it. Um, but supposedly, they are going to try and patch it up to 1080p at some stage. Wow. Don't know if that will happen. Don't even know. I mean, I, it's, I assume it's possible. It's amazing what they can do these days, but I don't know. Because then you're getting into all sorts of things like the texture of the graphics and everything like that. How do you patch that? That's yeah. going to be a massive download, surely. Yeah, and it's just a ball like... What do I know? I don't know nothing. Uh, more gaming news. Nintendo, Luke, right? Yes, so the Wii U. So Nintendo's released its latest financials. Um, in the past um, six months, it's globally has managed to sell half a million Wii U's, which... Mm. Hmm. So if you remember the quarter before this one, so this quarter ended on September the 30th. So yeah. maths now, three months before that would have been end of June. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, for the quarter ending June the 30th, um, they managed to sell just 160,000. Um, whereas so this quarter they've sold 300,000 improvement. Mm. Not really the leap you'd hope. I mean, then this well, how quarter... How many are we looking at they've sold in total? How long has it been out now? A year? Um, it has been out about a year. It was around this time last year, right? Novemberish yeah. last year that it launched. Um, so the global figures is um, 3.91 million lifetime in a year. Um, their target for the end of the uh, financial year, which is in March 2014, is, um, is 9 million. And they've opted not to downgrade that. 
Wow. So they're hoping that they can do in six months or well, less than six months, what they fail to do in a year, mm, which okay. is, which is bold. And the, the bad thing for them is this last quarter, there has been an upturn, but it's minor. And this last quarter has seen cuts in price. Yeah. It's seen Pikmin three mm-hmm. big title and it's seen uh, Zelda wind waker HD. Yeah. So, and they've done bundles. They've done all kinds of things. Who is going to, who is going to buy one now? With Uh-oh. next gen just a couple of weeks who, away, proper who, next gen. Who's going to go out and buy one no, of these I things? Quite, I quite agree. Who, who's got one here? No, no, no. I think Krupa's got no. one. Uh, Krupa has one, but nothing to play on it. Kaz is a big advocate, yeah. um, but even Kaz has been a bit kind of. She, I mean, she's loving Wind Waker, but I think she's struggled to find stuff to right. play. Um, were, you a, were you a fan of the Wii when it came out, Lee? The original one. I did have the Wii, but then I traded it in after a year. I just realised you got bored with Wii tennis. Well, uh, the, novel, <laughs> yeah, the novelty exactly. wears off, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very I mean, quickly. I, I absolutely loved the GameCube, and then the Wii came out, and it was just like, well, yeah, there's Mario Kart on it and stuff. But then I don't know. I've, I've played Mario Kart to death on the GameCube, so right. the hell of it. Let's move on. I got the Xbox then. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because I really love the GameCube, like my favourite, and I thought it did really well. And it wasn't until I got here and I started actually writing about. Nintendo that I realised, yeah, the GameCube was a massive flop. Yeah. And I never thought that. I, I thought it was, you know, the dog's bollocks. I loved it. But, yeah. Well, at what point do we get to say the Wii U is a massive flop? Surely that time is coming fast approaching, isn't it? Well, you'd think, but Nintendo have a history of this, right? Of, like, doing shit out the gates. And then, as the kind of catalogue <laughs> builds up, they do really, really well. And so, for example, the 3DS now is still, so that's the other part of these financials. But when did the 3DS turn around as a hit? I mean, I think oh, that God. was quite, you know, it wasn't far after release, was it? I mm. know there was a dearth of games to begin with, but people, I, I seem to remember like six, maybe eight months after it was released, there was like a major update for it and the floodgates for games opened and suddenly everybody was like, wow, now yeah. I understand what 3DS is for. I, I don't get that there's going to be that groundswell. Mm. With, with well, I remember being at a, a games pub quiz and kind of being all like, oh, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then I got shown, you know, Zelda in 3D and I was like, oh, actually, this 3D... Because it, it was around that time when there was a lot of scepticism around 3D, right? And everyone was yeah. like, oh, what's the fucking point? Still isn't there. Yeah, but I think the 3DS, most people are now a bit more accepting of... The, interestingly, the 2DS released after these figures. So we don't have 2DS numbers, but all signs point to that again being really successful mm. so and Pokemon X and Y again only out uh, aren't included in this kind of batch and they're again they're meant to be doing really really well yeah so Nintendo Nintendo as an entity is not over but the Wii U well it's I like Keza said the other week they've got huge cash reserves they've got, their, they've got oh, yeah. money just sloshing about I mean they could they could afford to write off the Wii U in a, in a year or so and say oh, we're fucked up we're just going to do something else now completely I mean th- their plan anyway for sorting it out is reducing the cost of hardware manufacturing and offering the console at an affordable price by bundling software with the system uh, concentrating proactively on releasing key first party titles towards the coming year in order to regain momentum well that says, well, that says to me then is they're not actually going to reduce the price of the console they're just going to give you more for the same price yeah I, think, I mean you know we've got new Mario we've got new uh, Mario Kart we've got Smash Bros they announce the, I think E3 next year is when they're slated to announce new Zelda so, it's still a way off, but I don't know. There's there's hope, right? Yeah, maybe. Well, is there? Time. I don't know. Is I there? know. I've been quite down on the Wii and Nintendo before. I think the 3DS can easily carry them until they get their shit together. Okay. Now, I think one of the uh, my favourite films of this year had to be Olympus Has Fallen. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was just ridiculously over the top. In this, fun. in this, because this isn't really a big story, but we are huge fans of Olympus Has Fallen yeah. in this office. We kind of, we've, we've all got a bit of a man crush on Gerard Butler as well, I think. 
because uh, he came into the old office and and was very very cuddly actually. I don't yeah. know. Very cuddly. This. He was very good nice guy. Is, is this the film of the White House? That's right. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the White House films. It's not, it's White, not White, White House it's down. Olympus slash White House has fallen down. Is what it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's the best Die Hard movie that came out this year. <laughs> wow. It is. Yeah, it's a good it point. Actually, I mean, yeah. If, if that had been Die Hard, the new Die Hard, I would have loved it. What's going to be interesting about this is I've just the, the sequel they're doing. Yeah, it's going to be set in London, and Ooh. Gerard Butler is going to return. Of course, Aaron Eckhart is returning as as the uh, Joker. Two Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> and Morgan Freeman's coming back as well. But I'm just wondering if because in the first film, Morgan Freeman's wheeled on on set for like three minutes <laughs> and said, "Right, you're you're temporary uh, president," and he's like, "Okay, go get me a cup of coffee." I'm wondering if they're going to do the same with that this time around. The story is going to be about a plot to blow up London during the funeral of the British Prime Minister. Oh, God. Didn't we say Olympia has fallen? Wasn't that one of the things that we were joking yeah, about? Yeah, we are hoping it was going to be down by Earl's Court. Yeah. yeah. Blow that Kids up. Of Olympia has fallen. <laughs> Apparently only the President of the United States, his Secret Service head, and an English MI6 agent can save the day. Oh, who's going to be the English MI6 agent? Statham. Oh, God, oh. please, no. Oh, my God. Imagine Statham and Gerard Butler in a movie, kicking ass, taking names. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'd pay to see it. We're, so have you, seen, have you seen Olympus Has Fallen? No, no. You've got to see that. Put that on your list as well. On, on, my, on my Blockbusters list. Yeah. You're, you're, but you're an 80s fan, so you'll like it. It's very much a throwback with the, the violence. And the, the quips. The quips, the, the really? kind of latent racism. Oh, God. It? Very, very 1980s <laughs> politics in it. Right. Yeah, it's really good fun. <laughs> oh, good old latent racism. Oh, good. Uh, and also, we um, we noticed this week, Tommy Butler pointed out that on Wednesday, uh, the 30th, uh, it was a year to the day since Disney bought Lucasfilm. Oh. So we thought, ooh, we should celebrate in some way or put something up on the site. And so we posted a poll asking, because there's also rumours swirling that the... Um, Episode seven, there's going to be some announcements coming soon. Whether well, it's a some teaser it was or it's some... going to be on the day, didn't they? Yeah, but that's obviously that's past now. And that's... Well, talk of a teaser, talk of of casting announcements. I was going to say a lot of my friends, like friends of mine who are actors, have been doing casting calls. Yeah, really? so they have been they've been doing casting calls in London as well. So it is happening. So um, so I yeah, I can imagine you as some sort of Skywalker ancestor. Luke. My name is Luke. <laughs> this is a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit brown though, aren't I? Which is slightly problematic. They had two sons. It was quite warm. Yeah, okay. It was Tunisia, right? Yeah. You I, could be Jimmy Smith's son. I could be Jimmy. I could be one of the Organas. <laughs> Except for the fact that it didn't go too well for him, what with Alderaan being blown up. Yes, oh, I'm a Star that, Wars yeah. nerd. Yeah. Yay. But this is a prequel, isn't it? So Alderaan would still be there. No, it's a sequel. No, it's a oh, sequel, it? yeah. No, Alderaan's gone. Do you know what? I'm so over the Star Wars universe. Can you take that back right now, please? No. Well, that's it. Well, <laughs> you know, I think I've said it before. Six movies, one and a half of them are good. What are you on about? How is that even? I mean, I'm a fucking apologist. I quite like the, the prequel trilogy. I'm, you know, flashing lights are enough for me. <laughs> really? <laughs> Just I'm, I'm bewitched by bright colours. That's it. Like, <laughs> they change the colours of the lightsabers. Purple lightsaber, boom, you got me. I'm there for the long haul. That was it. Do you want to see my purple lightsaber? I'm all right, thank you. But, um, <laughs> Is it still purple? Have you, have you done anything in claymation with Star Wars or are you... No, I, I'm really unfamiliar with Star Wars. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. I assume Luke, LucasArts has the rights locked up so tight. If you did anything, yeah, you get yeah. a strong cease and desist. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know a guy that um, he's, he's got the rights and is a producer for the Zombies at My Neighbours adaptation film. Oh, yeah. And, um, What's I think, that? I don't know about this. Ah, well, they're making it into a film, you know, the SNES uh, Mega Drive game. Right. And um, 
And that's LucasArts. And, oh. and when I figured out, when I found out he was behind it, I contacted him on Twitter and I kept harassing him. Um, and it eventually followed me back and I've been sending him direct messages ever since. It's like, just tell me something, anything. And eventually he gave and he gave me something and he's like, just don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. Like, Mum's a word. So now you should say so now, so now, now, so now I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm boasting, I'm sure. <laughs> I know something you don't. You but back to, back to Star Wars, I've only seen the three original films once. I've borrowed off, I borrowed them off someone when they'd just been re-released. We all see. No. Um, possibly. With the CG, with all the CG added yeah. in afterwards. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it would be because of, I saw them versions that it put me off forever. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if, if I'd feel the same if I'd seen the original. God, ones. they're so dated now as well. That yeah. the additional really CGI are. is just. Well, terrible. the worst bit is the bit with Jabba the Hutt when uh, Hans. Hans tail. It's just embarrassingly oh, bad. Yeah. yeah. Just why? So, so, so you're not. It's never really. No. Captured. How come you didn't see them when you were younger? Then. I don't know. I was brought up. I had Bubba Fett action figure. I remember that. Right. And I remember my dad sitting me down saying, "Check this bit out." And it's a bit where there's a big monster in a pit. Suck. And then bless you. And then <laughs> Bubba Fett's flying around and he's going pew pew. And yeah, I remember that bit really vividly. But it just I don't know. I've, I've never been into that like fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, all stuff like that. It's just never really. Oh my god. I've never worked it out. Like I've never right. yeah. understood. So what it. films would you have been watching instead of that? Oh, Ghostbusters. Like that. To me, that to me that were real. Like uh, it were people. It were like watching firemen. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and um, reverse firemen. And and looking back on it, you know, the fighting death and you know doing something really cool. And the other guys, they're in this make believe world that doesn't exist. That's the way I saw it. Yeah. Okay. You can't suspend your disbelief for Star Wars, yes. but with Ghostbusters, yes. it's, it's real enough. They were that, in a real city. and it, yeah. yeah. Well, we well this is going to be no use to you, because we did a poll of which character uh, our readers would most like to see come back. Okay. But uh, in, the, in the prequel, in the sequels rather, and the winner is the action figure that you had. No way. Boba. Boba Fett. We had, we've had 15,000 votes so far. Uh, Boba Fett has come out number one with 23%. That's 3,500 people voted for him. Uh, and then number two, Darth Maul. And number three, Chewbacca. I didn't think anyone liked that guy, Darth Maul. Oh, he was awesome. He was like that double-bladed lightsaber. He was cool. He was just in a bad film. Right? Yeah. He didn't really say much. and he was. But that was for the best, right? Because the dialogue in the film is yeah. fucking awful. So that, again, ingratiated <laughs> him with people, I think. I mean, the, the top two are actually characters that are dead. But as we, as we said, we, we put a few characters in there who are dead because that's in Star Wars previously, you know, Obi-Wan was able to come back and yeah. mm. there can be flashbacks or whatever. And a lot of the pop, a lot of the most popular ones are characters that have been killed well, off. Boba Fett was meant to be the star of that Star Wars 1313, wasn't he? That got cancelled when they got bought out. Shame. It but, looked um, good, Stu. Don't make that face. It looked really <laughs> fucking good. Yeah, whatever. Por- Porkins only got 2.8%. <laughs> Porkins. He's one of the. He's the chubby um, at the end of the first film. Oh yeah, yeah. When the Rebel Alliance, you know, they're really struggling. Actually, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, there's no fitness quota. You just <laughs> get on board. Sal- Salacious Crumb got 0.5 percent. <laughs> Who's Salacious yeah. Crumb? Even I don't know that. Jar Jar Binks got 4.7 percent though. What? That's no. 716 people voted for Jar Jar Binks. That's a protest vote. Well, they probably That's want like it. spoiling your ballot paper. They probably <laughs> didn't want him to come back and then get gruesomely murdered. I don't know, like. 
Could you, I mean, That's an don't, don't release it officially, but is there any chance you could do a little video of Jar Jar Binks being gruesomely murdered just for us? Just for us. I mean, I'd fucking love to see that. Uh, everyone hated him, didn't they? Yeah. Right? Killed, just having, for like two hours, having him killed in different ways. <laughs> yeah. It's like bunny suicides, only, you know. I could, I could, I could make um, like 40 odd videos and, it, and, and it'll start out like with an initial video and it'd be like Eli Roth's murder jabba the... Uh, what's he called? Jar 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 Binks, and um, and and you've got like forty different options on how to kill him, and you click on him, and it follows through. Maybe that's the dream. Yeah, I love that. That's it. We're making magic here. And just before I finish, uh, Wicket didn't even get a percent. Really? Oh. Poor Wicket. Oh God! No one tell Warwick Davis. He's in spam a lot at the moment. He's yeah. Kind of like, well, he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I tell you what. I'll, I'll, let's swap things about a little because I think yeah. we're in the groove. Um, a little bit later on the show because it's Halloween. We're gonna we, we've been around the office and we've asked everybody if they've ever had a spooky. Experience experience of some sort and we've got the best of those coming up a little bit later but but lee let's have a chat about about the whole claymation thing yep. i mean when when did you start what did you start doing why did you start doing it and uh, how when why where anymore <laughs> he's got i think he's got it he's got it yeah okay yeah, i can tell you everything right. i mean it could be really long and i'll try to keep it short though i mean i went to film school from 18 i always wanted to go because of uh, watching stuff like you've been framed and then the adam and joe show on tv um, those two programs really made it, it really sparked my imagination and told me that I could make stuff by myself. You've been framed. Yeah. Watch out, Beatles. Yeah. I'm getting the Adam and Joe thing, but, but um, I'll tell you what it is. You've been framed. There were a segment where it was like uh, the Beatles zone. You've entered the Beatles zone. It showed you like in camera tricks, like people hanging upside down, but the camera would be turned that way. Right. And, the, and oh. they'd be doing something weird that defined gravity or, for example, yeah. So, um, um, I had the social skills of, maybe now, I don't know, it's up to you to say, but I had the social skills of a tree when I turned to film school. <laughs> this, is, this is 10 years ago. And I found it very hard to make friends. And um, for my first year, I didn't make friends and I couldn't get involved with anyone else's projects and stuff. And it didn't really turn around to me until I was in my final year, really. Um, I had a good second year, made some of my best friends that I still have today. And then... Um, to get the films made that I wanted to make, um, I had to make them on my own. And so I was experimenting with animation and I kind of presented that to my tutor saying, can I do anything like that? Uh, maybe Wallace and Gromit sort of thing. And they were like, yeah, just get on with it. Didn't give me any budget. I sat at home, did it there and brought it back. And the irony of it is, is nobody else's project got picked to be shown at the film festival apart from mine that got made for no money. So, <laughs> Wow. And um, that film was called Stories from the Hotel Next to the Haunted Hospital. <laughs> really? <laughs> and that's where it started. So how do you go, I mean, from a technical point of view, I, I, you, 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 how do you shoot these things? Do you shoot them on a stills camera? Do you use a video camera or what? Yeah, stills camera. I, um, like my entry that I shot that's in the cinema, uh, Tease for Toilet, um, that was shot on a camera that I bought off eBay for £200. Uh, it wasn't even a, D D a DSLR, mm. just a, it were a Panasonic FZ50. All the images went onto an SD card and I had a shutter release cable. And then I imported them images into my computer and obviously that you can play it at a certain frame rate. So how, how, how long have you been doing this now and how many, how many do you think you've made claymations? I've been doing it full time for three years. And I reckon I've just reached over 50 videos in maybe three, four years, yeah. And you do, and you can make enough money to make a living out of it? Yep, yep. Um, I mean, I don't make an, an incredible amount through YouTube. I mean, it keeps me ticking over. But I get, like, um, these little learners that keep me going throughout the year, like um, the Die Hard promo video that I made and 
music videos for like Sufjan Stevens, Kill the Noise, and it allows me to uh, be able to free to concentrate on my own personal projects and in the time being while I'm waiting for the next one to come along. So it's interesting when you, you know, stuff like music videos. I mean, all the stuff I've seen of you, from you, is incredibly violent. <laughs> and are people not afraid to approach you because they're, 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 they're a bit worried? Or do they, do they get that it's a cartoon violence just ramped up to the nth degree? They understand that? Yeah, I mean, I've never... I've been approached, but most of the time people say, hey, like your claymations, can you do the most violent claymation anyone's ever seen to the point that they won't shut up about it um, for my song? So <laughs> they obviously know what they want and they obviously know what they're going to get. Um that's what the Kill and Noise guy said to me in an email. He said, I want the most violent thing ever. Uh, just do it. So I did a video where um, this little girl's parents get murdered and uh, a wolf eats a baby and it's just, it's just so dark. Look at his face. I'm scared. But, I mean, it is, it is shot through with humour. You're not... You, I mean, you don't come across as being a particularly dour, miserable gentleman. You, as you're making these, as you're making these kind of gruesome little film statements are you thinking to yourself that's fucking funny um i don't know i quite get into it actually if you saw me animating the best way to describe this is um like at primary school i'll be drawing like a picture of an airplane and it'll have rockets and guns all going off and i'll be sat there going (laughs) and i'm exactly the same while i'm animating it's like someone's head exploding and it's like Trying to play, trying to uh, animate it perfectly by frame. I'm watching it back. I'm going. I'm doing all the sound effects. Like it'll be like this. It'll be like that. You know, really getting into it. Um, and then, and then I snap out of it and realise I'm, I'm, I'm clearly insane. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the brilliant bit, isn't it? Is is, is that your cartoons? They're quite rough hewn because of the plasticine you use. You know, they they, they do look quite. Like, like they've got a punk ethos. But there is, when you actually get to the parts of, of heads exploding and limbs being chopped off and bodies being eviscerated, suddenly it's like you up your game a little bit and, and there's a, yeah. almost a, a, a greater finesse to that part of it. Would you say that's right? Or? Um, okay, don't be afraid to call it crude. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is, right? Um, but is that a deliberate thing on your part? Or no, is it just no, because you're not very good at, at, at making clay stuff? The way it goes is um, it's, it's zero budget yeah. and I've got a limited time to invest in these projects. So um, I don't use an excuse, but it's like, I've got to fly through it, man. I've got to, I've got to get on with it. Sure. And um, so stuff tends to look like it's made out of cardboard and the characters are, are really up to speed. I mean, when you start animating, they get, they get destroyed straight away. Um, and I don't really keep them maintained to the standards of Ardman and such. But um, yeah, when you get to the heart of it, at the end of the day, I'm a writer, director, and I'm expressing a story. I mean, you can see other videos on on YouTube where kids are doing the exact same thing, and it's just as good as what I'm doing, but they're not telling a story, they're not telling it good, and that's what I try and do. I like, you, you obviously do have quite a few Hollywood spoofs, yeah. and I like the fact that you use your voice in all the films, because <laughs> it's quite funny hearing your Leeds accent in these Hollywood situations. Is that something you'll continue to do to keep... Um, the main reason I do it is because um, it costs money to hire people and, it's, uh, and it costs a lot of effort to get people to do it for favours as well. Um, so I'll do it just because it's quick and easy. I don't have to pay anyone. And, um, and, 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 and like he says, a response through YouTube and the internet, people really seem to get a kick out of my accent. So it's like, <laughs> why not, you know, 
I'm from Leeds. How are you doing? <laughs> Have a laugh at that. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about your new project? Because you've just launched, I guess, your probably most ambitious film you've done yet on YouTube. Yep, that is titled Ghostburger, and it's a sequel to my entry in the ABCs of Death. Um, it's 20 minutes long. Um, I don't really know if there's a market for this kind of thing on YouTube. It's a bit of an experiment, but yeah, I'm really proud of it, actually. Um, I mean, it really demonstrates the way that I really want to go with uh, video and, and, and my, as an artist as well. It's like I really want to do stuff that's a bit more cinematic mm. and, you know, you can sit down and enjoy, not just sort of click on it and go, oh, that was funny, and show your mate. I want to do something a bit more, yeah, something that you'd walk away thinking about. I thought the lighting was great in this one. Yeah. It really, yeah, it Thanks. really, yeah. It looked at some parts of it, even though you know, like you say, it's cardboard and it, it, just the way it was looking, it was a really cinematic looking piece of work. Um, are, are you worried doing things that, are that, that long, like 20 minutes? Are you worried that people will click on, watch it for a couple of minutes and then get bored and click off? Yeah, terrified. Right. I, um, well, I was making Ghostburger, it was just like, I was, I was, not until I actually took it into post and it started to shape up did I have a bit more confidence in myself but up until that point it's like people are going to be watching this board out there Ed they're just going to find something more amusing in the sidebar like some Japanese woman who appears to be taking her clothes off maybe I don't know um, <laughs> I've seen that one it's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it's literally, what surprised me is, because you hadn't sent me the script for that one, it's literally about ghost burgers. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I just didn't think it would be that literal. But. Really? <laughs> oh, because I sent, you the, I sent you the poster before, like the concept art. And yeah. It's, and it's two guys uh, just shooting ghosts in a room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're doing it because they want to make burgers out of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I guess the question that comes up a lot with you... Uh, because I've been around you and people do ask it all the time, is do you, th- do you have a feature in you? Do you think you could do a claymation feature one day? Um, animation is painful. I mean, if I had a load of money in my bank account and didn't have to worry for the next five years and I'd get on with it tomorrow, I'd spend two years and come out of the woodwork and be like, here, take it, do whatever you want with it. But I can't be like that. So, um, I, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a bucket list thing for me to produce a feature film. And um, if I were to do it, I reckon in this day and age, I might uh, do it as a, as a live action. Or the other alternative is to do a horror anthology and do like a, a big bulk of it, like 20 minutes worth, and get other people involved. And, you know, it'd be like Lee Castle presents the horror claymation show or something like that. That's a great That's idea. A really nice idea. Mm. Yeah. I've actually, I've actually pitched that to someone. I've, I've, he'll remain nameless for now, but he's, yeah, he, he really liked the idea as well. Cool. Sounds really exciting. Yeah, you'll have to keep us posted on that front. Sure, sure. Brilliant. Well, we'll have more from Lee during the course of the podcast. But uh, one thing, I did mention that it's Halloween. Have I mentioned that? Yes. Several times. Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> uh, a couple of days back, we went that, put a shout out around the office to see if anybody had had any sort of supernatural, unexplained experiences. And a few people did, and uh, have a listen to these. This is what we came out with. Hello, I'm Will, and I'm IGN's PR manager. When I was about 15 and a half, I was staying at my grandmother's house. Now, my grandmother lived on her own, and by this point, all of her pets and everything had been long gone, so there were no animals or anything in the house. And I remember really clearly dropping off to sleep 
and remembering something sitting on the end of the bed, literally feeling the bed moving and something sort of the, 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 the covers tightening around my feet. So something was definitely sat there. And I thought she'd popped in just to check that I was okay, like she would have done when I was much, much younger. Um, and nothing was said. And I remember thinking, she's going to say something in a minute or move or breathe. And it definitely felt like there was something on the bed. Um, so after a couple of minutes, I thought it was a bit weird. So got up to look and there was nothing there. But I distinctly remember something sitting on the end of my bed. Now, what makes this even more weird is this has also happened in the same property to my brother a couple of years before. And it only I only found out about this probably a couple of years ago when I mentioned it at a family event. And my brother said, yeah, something like that happened to me. And this was like nearly 20 years ago now. So the fact that we can both remember it both makes us think something a bit weird was going on in that house. Chris Shepperson and I'm the head of entertainment for iGen and Ask Men. So when I was about, I guess from the ages of about 13 to 15, me and my friend Dan used to come home from school each day and near his house was a huge mansion house that had a cut through. So he used to jump over the fence, run down this guy's drive, over the other fence at the end and back to my friend's house. And for years there was an old man in a, uh, in a wheelchair who owned the place. He used to sit in the window and shake his fist at, at us and we used to laugh as we ran past. We basically went running down there for, I'd say, two or three years and then the man died. And so we carried on going down there. We didn't run anymore, but this time we decided to, as we were walking down there, we said, uh, you know, I wonder what happened to him, how did he die, etc. And walking down, as we looked up into the window, he was sat in the window. Two of us screamed like little girls, ran and jumped over the fence at the other end and never went back again. So, don't know what happened there, but we both swear on our lives that we saw him sat in the window. And if, if it was me and I died, I probably would have done the same to us because we were little shits to him for about three years. But honestly, I would never go back there again in my life. My name is David Moores. I am the design manager here. Uh, graphic designer. So, I went to a boarding school for a year uh, in lower sixth form. Went all the way out to Somerset and stayed in one of the only outhouse uh, boarding places they had, which was an old converted chapel. And me and a guy who also started at the same time both had a bedroom in the top of this chapel, in a sort of converted roof of the chapel. And the uh, all of the walls used to be sort of old tapestries that had been uh, all covered up with lots of plaster. And people used to take the mick about there being a, a sort of haunted person that used to creep around the halls at the top of the house, seeing as we were on the very top, this, this sort of gathered, gathered a bit of momentum and one night I woke up and in the corner of the room by the door there was a, there was a, a white face sitting, sitting in the corner staring at me and then when I shut my eyes it was like burned onto my retinas like really really strongly so that I could see this this white face like sitting on like right in front of my eyes it was it was really vivid and then I and then then I sort of woke up and freaked out and sort of ran into the middle of the room and, and there was nothing there and then the next day I left the room with my uh, roommate and we went to go and leave and he went back into the room to go and grab something I hadn't told him about this thing that I'd seen during the night, he went back into the room and sitting, like, sitting next to the desk, but floating above the above the ground was a uh, 
was a nail clippers that was that was sitting above the ground. When he opened the door, it just fell on the floor, which sounds incredibly far out. You can probably explain it in an, in sort of a perfectly logical way, but there were they the thing with the face and and sort of it being burnt onto my retinas was like something that was felt like a really haunted thing and I don't know how to explain that. I'm Gemma Price, I'm the key consumer and lifestyle exec at IGN. So very shortly after my boyfriend's parents were married, they moved into this lovely house, um, they arranged a party and all their friends came over um, and one of their friends, the wife of the friends, um, refused to go past the gate outside. So everyone was going around like, what's the matter, why won't you come in? And she just said, I've got such a bad feeling about this house. And uh, she was actually right because there was a really brutal axe murder there just before they bought the house. I think there was still blood on the walls. It was uh, not, not a nice one, though. So you heard from, from Will, and you heard from David, and you heard from Shep, and the last one there, which I think is, is brilliant, is from Gemma. I love that bit about the fact her, parent, uh, her boyfriend's parents bought a house that had been the scene of an axe murder. Wow. Uh, and when they moved in, there was still blood on the walls. Lovely stuff. <laughs> True story. But which one, was, which one was best? Was it Gemma's? <laughs> I, I, we, sh- we should let the listeners tell, tell us yeah, which one you like best and also let us know if you've had some sort of paranormal supernatural experience yeah. as well IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com Lee have you ever experienced anything you can't explain yeah and strangely enough it relates to my Ghostburger film not that I'm trying to plug it constantly <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a scene in the Ghostburger where they go to an abandoned hospital and when I was 18 years old I did the same thing me and two friends we broke into this old abandoned hospital that's no longer there and um it was, it was like, in the film he says, oh, it's just like Silent Hill, and that's exactly what I said, because all the hospital beds were still out, and it was just really scary and creepy. We went on in the night time to avoid getting caught. And so I was taking photographs of the rooms, each room that we went in, and we walked around it, got bored, naffed off, and back in them days, you know, digital cameras, you couldn't really look back on your images because, um, you know, they're not developed that far yet. So I got home, plugged it in, USB style, and all the thumbnails loaded up really slowly on the computer. And I can't, and I was really excited about exploring the place, so I knew what order, what photograph was, and it came up, there's this image, and it's, it's so creepy. It's like, a, it just looks like this mist of a person it stood right in front of me, and, it, and, and I took this picture in the children's ward, actually, because I like all the... Children's hand painting still all over the walls and everything like that. Yeah, so I've got this picture. I mean, I'm, I'm planning to make a YouTube video about it actually, just to show people this picture and make up their minds if they think it's a ghost or what. Oh, oh I hate stories. <laughs> I get so freaked out by stuff like that. Yeah, but I, you, you've uh, you've also had a, 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 an experience like that, haven't you? Or a, a slightly scary experience? No, not that I've told you. I don't think. Oh. I did have one weird thing. It was after I'd seen Paranormal Activity for the first time. Oh, God. <laughs> And my, my, um, that, that early that morning after the, the night after my brother came into my room, was like pulling my leg, like pulling me off the bed. And I was like, go away, Pete, go away. And I, and sort of half asleep. And then the next morning I went and spoke to him and said, why were you doing that? And he said, I, I didn't, I didn't come up to your room and he hadn't been up there. And it was just, I don't know what was happening, oh. but I just felt something pulling me off the bed. Pulling you off on your bed. <laughs> 
but isn't, that's what, isn't that what happens in the film? Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> my mind yeah, played tricks. Man. But it was so vivid. I really thought my brother was in my room pulling, pulling the sheets. But yeah, it was, I guess the film had just... Did any, yeah, anybody ever do any kind of Ouija board stuff when you were, when you were a kid? Yeah, didn't work though. Really disappointed. I, I did yeah. it a few times. No, I was oh, too scared. freaked the shit out of me. Really? Catholic, really? Good, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. good Catholic boy. No, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, we used to, there used to be a group of four or five of us used to do it on a fairly regular basis oh. for some reason. And it, was, and it was genuinely quite creepy at the time. I remember once we were doing it and the board just started um, spelling out Satan Dada oh. all the time. And what the weird thing is, is, you know, people say, oh, it's people pushing the glass, people pushing the... I, I, I am certain nobody was pushing the glass. And the other thing that happened is we didn't have a proper Ouija board. We just kind of tore up bits of paper, mm. wrote the letters on it. And we were using this glass, like a small tumbler, and we tipped the glass up. And seriously, the, the blast of air that came out of this glass was unbelievable. Scattered the paper everywhere. Really mm. freaky. So I don't know. I mean... Is it a spirit? Is it a ghost? I mean, nah. <laughs> it's something. Yeah. It's something. We just, I don't, just don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. If you don't fuck with that stuff, Stu, it all goes horribly wrong. That's a very good point. I, if we, we do not condone the invoking <laughs> of spirits. If people didn't invoke spirits, we wouldn't have any horror movies. Well, this is very <laughs> true. This is very true. I like spirits. Yeah, yeah. well, yes. stick with vodka. Yeah, vodka, fine. Uh, shall we see what everybody's been writing in about? Yeah. All right. We've got weeks worth of reader feedback. We have. Most of it's terribly outdated by now, though. Uh, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com if you'd like to get in touch with us, just as the, these people have of. Right, I've got the first one. Uh, it is from David McCourt, and he says, um, I've been enjoying your recent FIFA videos on the site. Listening to Stuart pretending to be a seasoned FIFA player is rather amusing. <laughs> but I couldn't help notice the comments being spanned by the seemingly growing number of conspiracy theorists claiming that FIFA is scripted. I've always dismissed this kind of talk as nonsense, but there's only so many times Blackpool or Preston or Burnley or Crewe dissect my defence like Bayern Munich immediately after I've taken the lead before I begin to doubt myself. Have the developers ever commented on scripting or Mario Kart-style handicapping? How does the crew feel about these kinds of games mechanics in general? And he says, thanks for the excellent uh, podcast. And uh, he said he likes the guest appearances from people like Alan Moore and Rob Kaczynski. Interesting chaps. So let's hope he thinks the same about Lee Hardcastle. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we did talk about this on the Lost this Podcast. This was on the Lost yeah. Podcast. Yeah, we did. Can we anyone did. remember what they said? <laughs> yeah, so I believe I mentioned, I made reference to rubber banding in racing games. Yeah. Oh, uh, I like, didn't know what that was. Yeah, you didn't know what yeah. rubber banding was. So, you know, when like you get too far ahead or they get too far ahead and they slow down to let you catch up because it's no fun. And then I also mentioned that I'd been playing GTA Online yeah. where there is no rubber banding mechanic with other players. And I was kicking the shit out of them, and I was loving it, but I imagine they would have been quite sad that there was no rubber banding. I mean, I just don't see if rubber banding's fair or not. What do you think, Lee? I mean, if you're playing a game and you're constantly getting your ass kicked, would you just rip the game out of the console, throw it away, and never play it again? Or would you want there to be some sort of mechanic where it gives you an outside chance of beating it now and again? I hate the whole concept of the, the mechanic. Um because he could do that on the GameCube version of Mario Kart, he could fly ahead if he knew what you were doing and I think that kind of pissed me off though when you played against someone who knew what they were doing because they'd pick the, the, the monkeys and they'd be laying banana splits for you mm. and they'll be straight ahead of you and it's like, ah, oh, you can't, once they get that, you can't beat them, that's it. Mm. Um, but then in the new Mario Kart, they demolished all that and they made it really fair and it was just like, well, you know what, this, isn't, this is just really frustrating. It's like, there's no, like, you don't feel like there's any skill involved. Yeah. I mean, the flip side is like, you know, if you were playing like a match of FIFA, you know, and you take a massive lead in the first five minutes, 
are you, are you bored then for the rest of the game? Surely you want to get to the stage, but actually it then ramps up the difficulty, but you get good enough that it's, you don't start losing, you know, because it's not unfair. No, but it, 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 I just, I like the feeling of flying. Like I'm, feeling I'm, of... I'm effing flying. It's, <laughs> it, um, it's the solution not to give people the option. What do you mean? To have two modes where one, oh. it's more scripted and more, and this rubber banding's happening and one where it's totally I'm open. I think if there's been stuff where you can turn that off. I don't know. Because there never used to be this kind of rubber banding. I, I'm sure there never used to be. You know, I remember playing, I said this in the Great Loss podcast, it, back in Ought 2 when I was playing FIFA on like the, the PS2. Yeah. You'd play somebody that was unskilled and the, it would just be so one-sided. It would be ridiculous. You'd end up scoring like 12-0. Mm. And even against the, the, the computer, you'd still like beat it 8-9-0 because there were ways of doing it. There didn't seem to be any kind of rubber banding involved then. You just thought, oh, it's, you crack it, don't you? you work yeah. it out and then... You, you, there's, a, a, there's always a, a move you can do which you're almost guaranteed to, to mm. score that goal. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a tech thing because when you think about to like all the old shooters and things, remember you when you set your opponents, you used to select their difficulty. It'd be easy, medium, hard, or like, you know, brutal. And then that would be it. So there's never really been in shooters kind of adjustable adaptable AI mm. so I don't know if it's maybe a case of just it's, it's kind of a sports slash racing thing well we'll keep we'll keep our ears to the ground and uh, see if we can dig up any more interesting facts about that yes uh, this is from Aiden Sims uh, hi guys love the podcast etc insert gratuitous praise here will do <laughs> but I've heard a few people write in recently discussing the fact they're going to do they're going to go completely digital with their next gen gaming purchases as well as my PS3 I also play a lot of big games on the PC so I'm not adverse to downloading titles and would be more than happy to make the same statement bar one point and that is price I often found it bizarre that you can get AAA titles on Steam for less than their retail equivalents, yet I'm often faced with a £60 price tag for a game on the PS Store that costs almost half that in the shops. I appreciate Sony and Microsoft need to keep the retailers happy. With the obvious push to digital over the life of this generation, do you think we'll see prices come more into line with those on PC, or will console gamers always have to pay a premium to download? Um, Difficult one. Right. I personally don't think we will. The reason what? I don't think we. I don't think we will see that. I mean, the thing that um, I think Steam's going to find interesting is if it does release the Steam Box. I mean, that's going to be mainly that's going to be digital. If the Steam Box was going to kind of have physical discs, then I think it would encounter the same issue where it has to ramp up prices, because I, you, as they say, you can't piss off the high street retailers. Mm. That's why Sony and Microsoft can't lower the prices because everyone in the short term thinks, oh, if they were cheaper, you'd sell more. But in actual fact, they lose kind of sight of how many how many impulse purchases are made by either parents or kids or teenagers just wandering around you know on what once were high streets <laughs> and just you know making kind of impulse buys so actually i think if they did lower the prices on digital ultimately that would kind of impact game sales and it does impact the industry negatively it's kind of the general that's the accepted view can't you also also impulse buy digitally though i mean if you were to to boot up your PS3 and you go to the PlayStation store surely that's a, a you're not even moving out of your chair to buy a game right? <laughs> yeah, and you well, can I mean, get it there and then well to a degree that's kind of what they're doing right because yeah. you can now they're doing demos that you can stream and play whilst they're streaming so that's great um, I don't quite know whether that would work I just don't know I think, I think you're always going to want physical retailers because also there's the other aspect of it which is that you get a physical disc right which I think a lot of people still like from it's not just about having the game, playing the game, beating the game. It's about having a disc, you know, or a collector's edition to stack up and, you know, say, this is my game collection rather than here's a collection of tiny icons. See, I'm like that with movies. I still like to have a physical yeah. Blu-ray or something. I, 
you know, I, I have bought some films that I've downloaded, but I, you forget about them, yeah. don't you? Mm. You forget that you've got them. Yeah. Whereas if you can look at your DVD collection, your Blu-ray collection, laser disc collection... And, and if, you're, <laughs> if you're a generous person, it's always good to bring home a friend and be like, have you played this, have you seen this? And yeah. send them home with a little collection of stuff that you really want them to experience. But do you not get pissed off that you never get that stuff back? Uh, the amount of things that I've lost yeah. to lend into fucking friends. Well, I've, got, I've really... come to accept it now, but right. I really like to... It's like, have you, you've not seen that film, just take it, just piss off and watch it. It's like that. <laughs> do you remember when we chatted to um, Jonathan Ross? He said he's, he's got like a box full of Studio Ghibli films because he just, he can't believe, when people come around and he says, have you seen this? I like, did that recently. I, did I gave the box set to uh, Dominic Brunt, uh, who plays Paddy in Emmerdale. Mm. It, it was, I was like, you've not seen him? And it's like, take him home, show your kids and everything. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Mm. He's actually got a box full that he's bought though of all different titles, like multiple copies. So he can just give them to people. And never expect them back. And never expect them back. Yeah. And then he did the greatest name drop I've ever heard on our podcast. When he said he, he, said he lent, uh, I can't remember the name of the film Bob now. Bob LaFlamber. Bob LaFlamber to Steven Spielberg. Yeah. No oh. biggie. He'd never seen it, so I lent him a copy. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> you going to come up with that on our podcast? That's a good point. He's the most famous person you've met then in your, in your role as, as a claymation genius. Um, I think Dominic might be the biggest that I've worked with actually and, but I get to meet a lot of people uh, especially when I went to um, uh, Grosvenor Hall for the Empire Awards I went there for 2010 and 2011 um, I, had a, I had an encounter with uh, Edgar Wright who, who get, as I walked past his table I didn't realise he was there he gave me a tap on the back of the leg and I just turned around it's like just instant splash of water all over me like fear like oh my fucking god it said go right you know <laughs> and he's like good job and I'm like yeah, I'm a big fan of him alright mate okay see you like that and, um, and then and then on the following year um, I got to meet Eli Roth yeah well I was with you in Glasgow because you oh, know yeah, I know and, and, I know. and then there was a moment in Glasgow where I absolutely freaked out in front of Eli Roth I didn't know what to say to him because right the story is I met <laughs> I met uh, Eli Roth and Edgar Wright were sat at a table together in 20, 2011 and I wanted to impress them so I says I'll do a done in six seconds of Shaun of the Dead I'll do a done in six seconds of Hostel and Edgar got his and he appreciated it Eli Roth not so much <laughs> Cause, really? yeah because I did I, I had a really smart idea I thought hang on a sec how about I've those directors all torturing people with their films but it came across that I fucking hated them and the films were shit yeah. and it just it was like one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in, in, in fanboyism <laughs> well because I know Eli was like, we, were in, we were in this very little small green room which was a little bar I went over and I was chatting with him and said oh by the way my friend Lee Har- Harcastle's here I don't know if you know his stuff but he wants to come and say hello and he, he was like he wasn't that impressed because because exactly that, I think he thought Lee was taking the piss. And you watch it, you could take it in, in either way, yeah, really, yeah, couldn't yeah. you? I see exactly what you're saying, but it also look, it could look like you're saying his films are terrible. And it's torture to have to watch them. Yeah, cinematic torture. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> have uh, you thought about... Have, you, haven't done a, you haven't done a claymation about, at an awards ceremony, have you? No, I haven't. Because that would be amazing. No. The amount of people you could splatter. <laughs> you It'd be like Celebrity one. Deathmatch. I was going to say yeah, Celebrity yeah. Deathmatch. You can have that one for free. <laughs> or can I have an executive producer credit, maybe? <laughs> Next bit of feedback. Oh, yeah, I've got a comment here if you want me to read it. Yeah, yeah go for it. it. Um, okay, shall I read out where it's from? Yep. Yeah. Bob Mallet. And it says, uh, just excuse me if I, if I read this out wrong. Hi, regarding your disparaging comments 
on PlayStation Home. They are wide of the mark and ill-informed. One of the best online experiences I have ever had was in home. <laughs> I was in an office area. Can't be asked to go back and check which one. Where there was a bathroom to the side. I spent a very happy half hour sitting on the toilet shouting, do you mind whenever <laughs> anyone walked in? It's the little things, I guess, Bob. <laughs> Did I read that out right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. PlayStation Home. It didn't make sense in my head while I was reading it. That's right. an amazing little story. Mm. I love that. I've, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually loaded up PlayStation Home. I think I did once when I first got my PlayStation. I did, because when you bought Tekken 6, you got a couple of free Avatar outfits. And I used and I logged up, logged in, put them on, was like, that looks better than the you know normal ones I get. Logged out. Now, I've, had a, I've had an explore. I feel like I interviewed someone in Home. You might have done. They've got, they put a director in there and all these journalists and we're all in there oh, wandering really? around. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Zack Snyder. So, yeah. This is why it doesn't make sense to me because I, I, obviously now it's because it's some sort of thing on the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like an air, it's right. like a kind of virtual world. Gotcha. It's, it's, gotcha. We got it, Lee. Yeah. Are, you, so are, you a, are you a gamer? Did we ask that? Did we even approach the whole gaming side of things? I know you said you used to play a bit of Mario Kart on oh, um, Xbox. But... Uh, um, recently I'm playing um, Doom and Doom 2 because I bought the BFG edition of Doom 3. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I avoid playing games is the short answer because um, I just feel too guilty working. From, I work from home, you see, so yeah. if I'm sat playing computer, I think, why am I doing this? <laughs> um, Have you got a dedicated room then that is just your studio? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a spare bedroom and um, yeah, do all the work in there. Right. Don't have to commute anywhere, apart from like a day like today. Come to the big smoke. Trip. Yep, yep. Escape from New Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> here's a, do you know, here's a question. How, how much plasticine do you go through then for, for an average... Well, for, for, say, something like, you know, Ghost Burger? Uh, someone asked me this, actually. I thought it was a really weird question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I get, well, well, a bar of plasticine is half a key. And I reckon Ghost Burger went through about, I don't know, five keys, I guess. Not a massive amount, then, really. No, not a crazy amount. Because I remember watching a TV show, I think, years ago about how they made morph. Yeah. And it was all Smart. like, and we have to make like multiple morphs because they melt so quickly. Yeah, I've not liked that. Fridge. You, just, you just make one and if it melts a bit, fuck it. And you just yeah, carry on. I just sort of smooth it over. and Just get on with it. Yeah, spit on it. and <laughs> <laughs> Fuck morph. <laughs> Seriously, fuck him. Fuck him. morph. No, I yes. like morph. Cool, so Steve Diamond is the next one. Um, hi guys, greetings from Swansea. Lovely, that's where I'm from. That's I was I'm born, you that. born wow. in Swansea, very nice. in a Welsh He's, accent, please. He sounds like a diamond geezer. He does, doesn't he? So as we approach oh. the launch of the new systems, we've heard news about potential game sizes, 40 gigabytes upwards. But I don't seem to recall hearing about either systems, players you download options, or any confirmation of digital game prices. Currently deciding whether to go all in on digital, but I suspect retail copies will be cheaper. Keep up the great work and have a great weekend. Went a bit Hugh Edwards at the end there, but there we go. Um, <laughs> Even had the little Hugh sneer. A little Hugh sneer. Um, well, we do know that um, part of the Gaikai offerings on PlayStation 4 is that you will be able to play games while you download it. So kind of streaming, download, playing things. Not sure if you've heard the same about Xbox One. I don't, to my knowledge, we haven't. Um, I'd be amazed if you couldn't. I'm sure that'll come at some stage. But I don't know. We don't know is the answer. We don't know is the answer. You, we know you can on PlayStation 4, but bear in mind in Europe, um, you, you'll need Gaikai, and in Europe, Gaikai has been delayed to mid to late 2014. Oh. Well, actually, there's no ETA. I made up the ETA. Did you? I'm sorry, I've just lied to you. Oh, yeah, no, well, it, it's, early, it's early 2014 in uh, North America, and 
they've said, yeah, we're working with, because broadband in Europe is shit. Right. And so basically they've encountered a lot of issues. So what you did there is you managed to start a rumour and then quash it in the same sentence. That's what I do every day on the site. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, I've got an email from Stuart Doig who starts off with a greeting that the more I read it, the more I don't understand it. He says, okay. howdy a y'all. He's a Canadian cowboy. <laughs> howdy a y'all. Howdy a y'all. Anyway, uh, howdy Stuart. Um, he says, I was enjoying the discussion about games and movies you all had during episode 201, in which you mentioned that the often the cinematic version of a novel disappoints or doesn't translate well. My question is twofold. Firstly, which novel would you love to see made into a video game? For me, it would be any of the Yashim detective novels set in Istanbul during the 1830s, such as The Janissary Tree or The Bellini Card. Eats meets West in a cultural hot pot during the reign of the Ottoman Empire. Such atmospheric novels. They sound good. Uh, He's got me sold. They do sound good. Um, Secondly, um, why do you think uh, video games industry does not adapt novels into games when the movie industry does it regularly? Wouldn't something like The Da Vinci Code have made a much better game than film? Christ, Keep up the yeah. good work. That's for sure. I mean, it was a lousy film. Yeah. Well, we said Broken Broken Sword, right? Is Da Vinci Code the game? Yeah, I guess so. Kind of. I suppose those old, like, the old LucasArts point-and-click adventures were kind of like novels in yeah. a way, aren't they? That's the kind of closest thing you'd get to, I guess. Monkey, like, Monkey Island. Island, yeah. Monkey Island, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is a visual medium, though, isn't it? Like, games are closer to films than they are to books, right? Right. So, but they still make... I'm going to say, I'm gonna say that, sorry, uh, I'm really interrupting now, but that's another interesting subject, like um, films that are the film version of certain games that haven't got anything to do with each other, and am I making sense? Give us an example. Um, well, my favourite one is, um, I like to call it Bully the Movie, Yeah. and it's, um, I think it's Swedish, uh, a film called Evil, and it's about a Seen it, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great about? movie, yeah, yeah. It, I, I always, like, when I think of Bully, I always think about that film. Like, how is that not Bully the movie? But mm. obviously, they're not together other than right. that. No, there is a snobbishness, though. I think isn't there in the film? Uh, in maybe writers looking down upon games. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't think. I, th- I think we could see that happening in the future. I think it's going to really start do. turning around, isn't it? I definitely you do. Know, when, when you when you look at the script behind GTA Five and the the performances in GTA Five. Mm. They're, they're better, and that script is better than a lot of stuff that's coming out of Hollywood. And it's only going to take one to do it, one novel to be turned into a game that makes a lot of money, and the floodgates will open. Well, I mean, not, not quite the same, but, you know, The Witcher, obviously, graphic novels, comics, kind of, yeah. all that. I, don't, I mean... And would the novel act as a strategy guide, then? Yeah, yeah maybe so. <laughs> yeah. You'd have clues in that. Well, Ready Player One's almost like that. I don't know if you've read Ready Player One, but that's all about a game, and I imagine there'll be a video game of that one day. There'll certainly be a movie, but that's got... It's all about a game in the book that there's all clues all the way through. So, right. um, so what? Anyone got any suggestions of a book you'd like to see turned into a movie? Uh, to kill them, I can be. A game. <laughs> to kill them, I can be. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple. I think Hunger Games would have made a brilliant game. Yeah, mm-hmm. much better than the film because the film is, is, I think, fairly crap. Um, and Brett Easton Ellis, Glamorama, I think would be brilliant because it's such a mental book. I made this joke before, but Dawn French's autobiography. That was one of the last podcast ones. So if you hadn't mentioned the fact you'd made that joke before... It would we got a laugh last time, so <laughs> thought it was worth a shot. What about the Bible? Brilliant. <laughs> I'd play the Bible. <laughs> There's some be, crazy shit going down yeah. in that. It's already been done. There's uh, the Angry Video Game Nerd. He reviewed a lot of... I think uh, it were parted from Wolfenstein, but they replaced it with Sheeps and Noah's Ark. What about Fifty Shades of Grey? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, the torture scene in GTA 5 didn't go down too well, so you have no idea. <laughs> 
It's a great question, though. I mean, it'd be good to hear yeah. what our readers, what our listeners think. Yeah. Uh, if you've got yeah. any suggestions of books you'd like to turn into games. Or uh, I was just thinking about, Leah, are there any books that you'd like to make a film on? No. Um, no. Is a short answer. I don't read. Is right. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm ashamed to say that actually, because I have read and I have enjoyed them in the past. But it's like I find it really hard to find a book that I can pick up and get really stuck into. Um, the last one I read was Brett Easton Ellis. Actually, my sister lent me it. Um, it's a sequel to Less Than Zero. Which one's that? Ah, uh, I can't remember. Imperial Bedrooms, I think. No, yeah. is it? Oh, Alex, I forgot. Doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, I don't read, and um, when I do, it's like a once every five years. Right. Yeah. You prefer to be entertained visually. I don't know. I just I feel guilty whenever something takes time. You got a lot of guilt around I you, know. man. A lot of guilt. I know. Um, that's it for reader feedback. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Chris, what are we going to do now? Well, we could talk about the films coming out this week, but there's one huge release that's already in cinemas, and that is Thor: The Dark World my review of which is on the site if anyone wants to check it out but also uh, we had the film's director um, what's it Alan Taylor and Kevin Feige who produced it but also oversees all of Marvel's movies uh, come in the office to speak to Tom so let's hear what they had to say so I'm glad to welcome uh, Kevin now I always get this wrong is it Try oh, oh, I know it go um, on Alan no you go first well I always thought it was Feige but I hear it's Feige Exactly. What is it? Then? I like to call him Feige, but I think Feige is really kind of cool. Feige, based on the spelling <laughs> and the pronunciation of the word beige, hmm. I think the confusion is understood. But but Alan is right. It is Feige. Feige, okay. And let me try Alan's name too. <laughs> and Alan, is it Taylor? Taylor. You took, you, you took a risk, but no, that was good. <laughs> okay. And Kevin, you're the uh, head supremo at Marvel Studios. You oversee. You're basically like the king of all Marvel, right? Uh, well, I, there, <laughs> there are many. There are many kings, uh, but I'm the producer on the film. Yes. Yeah. And Alan, you're the director of Thor: The Dark World. Yes, one of the many princes on the film. So first of all, if you can just tell me, like, how Alan came on board to the project, like, where, what was, the, who made the connection? Um, we were we were looking for a new filmmaker for for the next Thor film, and uh, I greatly admire the work that's being done in television now. And I thought, you know, perhaps I should look there, where amazing work is being done for for filmmakers that could come uh, and do a film for us. And as I looked at shows like Boardwalk Empire and Mad Men and Game of Thrones, this man's name kept popping up on them. Mm-hmm. And because Game of Thrones um, has a little bit of fantasy element that perhaps Thor does. I thought, well, maybe he'd be interested in this world. Hmm. And, and, and thankfully for us, uh, he did, and he agreed to come on board. I've never actually heard that said. I've never heard that side of the conversation. I always I can tell it from my side, and I, I love that answer because it refers to you know, Mad Men and Sopranos and other things that I spent a lot of time on, uh, not just to airlift from Game of Thrones in, but, um, but um, yeah, I mean, I've, a lot of people are doing good work, especially the writers who are doing wonderful work in television. And, um, I think the Russell brothers are doing uh, Captain America. Anthony Joe Russo also came from the world of TV <coughs> as we were as we were looking in that uh, in that realm. Yes, so there's a lot more cross pollination. I think. Sorry to go off topic, but if uh, Thor and Don Draper got into a fight, who would win? That is tough. I, I'm glad I had Game of Thrones on the way in because they would have been wearing suits. They would have been <laughs> whacking each other behind in parking lots. It wouldn't have had quite the epic. Um, So, uh, is Marvel, uh, like, the community there, like, uh, the the working environment, are they all big fans of Game of Thrones? Was that something that was... Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't think, not not, uh, everyone uh, in the movie um, uh, watched the show, but but I certainly did, and and many of us did, Um, and uh, just think it's really well done. And just... 
in terms of the screenwriting process, like from the idea of making the second Thor film to actually having a finished script, where do the scripts come from? I mean, do you have a think tank that's sort of you like a pool of people that you turn to? How does it work? Well, it, it starts, yeah, it starts with a brain trust at, at Marvel Studios um, and with uh, our creative committee made up of uh, some people from uh, Marvel uh, Publishing and, and Marvel uh, New York. And, you know, it's, it's sort of less than 10 of us sort of sit around and decide what would we want to see next? What do you think would be cool? What elements from the comics? What, what, what would entertain us? Um, and once we land on a, on a short document, we start to bring in uh, writers and then filmmakers and go from there. And, and the first writer on this was Don Payne, who was the primary writer at the end of the day on the first Thor. And he came in and did, uh, and did a, a very good draft for us that, that changed significantly by the time the film was, was complete. But there are a number of things, including a particular gag involving a cell phone oh, yeah, that yeah. plays very well yeah. that, uh, that remained from, from his draft. And did you have any input into the scripts yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, when I came in, Don Payne's draft already existed, and we were all working off of that. And it's fun to remember the the moments that were in that draft that have weathered the storms and and come through. And the cell phone thing, one of my favorite moments, is is one of them. And basic premises of, you know, Jane being endangered and Malekith being the villain, it was all there. Um, But from that point on, yeah, I joined the little group and, you know, was bringing writers in, bashing the ideas around, and, uh, yeah. As, as Kevin said, it's a surprisingly small group of people that are doing it, and that's one of the sort of defining things in Marvel, I think. You know, we, we expected Alan to have a, have a unique point of view and to be able to bring Asgard to life in a way um, that hadn't been done before. We wanted to build off of what we had done in the first Thor film, give it a little grit, give it a, a slightly earthier feel, a lived-in feel, um, as he had done on some of his other projects. But I wasn't necessarily anticipating his sense of humor. <laughs> which was which was apparent in early meetings. Um, Stellan Sarsgaard's character Eric Selvig was not a part of the early of the early drafts, um, and it was uh, Alan who said, uh, you know, he's great. He's great. Was I don't know if it was before you saw Avengers or after you saw Avengers. I think um, it was before I saw Avengers, but yeah. then you know, incurred. Oh, then the specific way to bring him in came from Avengers. Yes. Yeah. The notion of having him be slightly banana balls, as Kat Dennings' characters says, based on what Loki did to him in Avengers. Um, and that, that leads to some of the biggest laughs in the movies, and that was one of the early ideas from Alan. What I like about the way um, Kevin tells the story is he was, it was a complete surprise that I would have any sense of humor whatsoever. Who would in. guess? So, um, Stellan Skarsgård's character is obviously visibly affected by the events of Avengers. Right. Is, is there someone in the writing team that has to do a pass that says, make the Avengers references? <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense. It, it is, uh, I would say it's a natural part of the, of the writing process. We don't say, okay, now... We reference the Avengers. Um, it's, uh, it, it, we only want it to come up in a natural way anyway, so it doesn't stick out. A lot of it comes through character because, you know, if you're going to have Stellan in there, you've sort of got to, you know, acknowledge the fact that he had his brain taken over by somebody else. And if you're going to have Jane in there, you've got to acknowledge the fact that her, you know, her best boyfriend ever came to town and didn't call her. Those things just sort of grow up out of the, uh, out of the character. Um, something I wanted to ask that I asked Chris Hemsworth about is uh, Thor's costume and the fact that he doesn't get to wear his helmet again. <laughs> Yes. I mean, f- fans obviously, when we, if, if we ever ask about Thor, then fans are always like, why doesn't he wear his helmet? I mean, Chris said it was uh, a cosmetic thing, like it's difficult to wear a helmet for action scenes. I mean, is, is that... It, it is. I mean, Odin obviously has a, has a helmet that he wears briefly, basically to stand. Um, it's been hard to incorporate it into those action scenes, which is, which is true. We have a design of a helmet that we love that you saw briefly in the first movie. Um, it, it's going to show up in, in various things in and around the, the movie. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I didn't get a chance to put it on in this one. 
Yeah, and fan feelings are pretty strong on that topic. It's fun to go online and go, oh, you, yeah, they really care about stuff like that. Um, so the film itself feels very sort of grand and, and it's got sci-fi elements, it's very cosmic. Is that, was that a deliberate thing for obviously prepping people for the Guardians of the Galaxy hmm. world? Well, well I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a deliberate thing to, to prep uh, for Guardians or for anything in the future, but it was a specific thing to take advantage of what the Thor comics are and to take advantage of how cosmic they are in, in, in every aspect, not just the earthbound sequences, not just the romance with Jane, not just the family intrigue between Odin and Loki and Thor and Frigga, um, but the fact that there are ships and there are these outer space elements to it that we yeah. didn't want to didn't want to shy away from, and, and instead wanted to embrace because we think they're really cool. And for, yeah, for me, it started with the fact that we knew we were going to go to other worlds, and then once you're going to other worlds, you have to figure out how you get there and how you get right. back again, and then you find yourself creating that stuff. And um, yeah, it very much is a, a mashing of genres in a way, uh, and that's what defines it, I think. And uh, just to ask about Guardians again, but like, will the Avengers interact with the Guardians? I mean, like, without giving too much away? Um, well, I, I don't know that that will happen anytime soon. The, you know, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy film is very much about introducing that core group, these unlikely people who come together and aren't perhaps the most heroic individuals, and telling a story of how they can, they can band together and become a group of heroes. Um, and it takes place in the same universe, uh, Thanos is a part of that connective tissue. Some of the MacGuffins of the other films are part of that connective tissue. But it really is, is about introducing sort of a wholly new team on the other side of the universe. Um, I, I can't go past the Guardians without asking, do you know when we'll see a trailer? Uh, we're working on trailers now. James Gunn finished shooting the film about a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have all the footage. And, uh, and our friends in the uh, marketing department are working on trailers right now. Um, it could be before the end of the year. It could be uh, sometime into early next year. I, I saw a little bit of Comic-Con that they showed, and it's beautiful and funny and cool. And so, uh, some, a bit of news that came out recently, and I'm not 100% sure how it is, was about more Marvel TV shows. So uh, that there was talk of possibly four more series. And I just wondered whether or not there was any credence to that. And if so, would, would Alan, would you be interested in working on? I'd, I'd, it'd be an honor. And I'd, you should you know, be so lucky. I'd, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to go back and forth between movies and television be so and be able to stay in the same universe the whole time. But I don't know what your plans really are. Uh, I think all of those are rumors right now. You know, our, our television division is separate from our studios. So that is a, a different team of people led by Jeff Loeb, who runs the television division. They've been working very hard to launch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which they've just done to great success. Um, and I have no doubt that they're planning future things after that success. But as to what those are or when those are, I'm not sure. So do you deal with the head of TV to sort of make sure everything fits together well, like, closely? There's or is a, that something that... Yeah, there's cool? a little bit of crossover there. And, and, and obviously, uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. show inhabits the same universe as the films. Um, so they usually take the cue off of the films and, and see how those events can ripple into it. But it's also about them uh, really spending 90% of their time building their own mythology and their own characters in that, in that program. And there's also been a lot of talk about other characters recently coming back. And do you think, if, if theoretically, TV series could be the way to bring these characters into the Marvel Universe, say something like Punisher or Daredevil... Uh, it, it, everything is on the table. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the great thing of having a TV division now and having um, now this early success in television is that we can look at characters that, uh, that may make great movies once every couple of years or could make a great television series week after week. Um, and it's just a case-by-case basis. 
Okay, and any particular characters outside of the ones you've already worked with, Alan, that you'd like to work with? That's a good question. That's fine. Um, well, it's, it's, it's not a great answer. It's just, you know, Ant-Man, I think, is just so exciting and so funny and so promising, and I'm really you know, upset that it's already taken by a really brilliant <laughs> director who made one of my favorite movies ever. So. Which one's that? Um, Scott Pilgrim, Save the World, by, by Edgar Wright. I just think he's the smartest guy. Funny. Perfect. And he's been working on that for quite a while now. It's been a while, but it's finally now. It's finally actually happening. He's uh, he goes into the Marvel office every day in uh, in uh, Los Angeles. Punches his time clock and punches his card. Sits down. Um, is uh, is working on sort of just tweaking the draft of Joe Cornish, who now is a big director in his own right, of course. Um, and uh, and we're crewing up and prepping, and there should be some cast announcements probably before the end of the year. Any now? None now. <laughs> is it the end of the year? No, not yet. So you think we'll see something before the end of the year? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, so obviously with Ant-Man, um, with Edgar working on it, I mean, are we looking at more like a comedy route or, I mean, because Scott Pilgrim was very action but also very comedy based. Do you think it's going to be kind of like similar to Scott be, Pilgrim I think in terms of a, tone? No, I think it'll be very Edgar Wright in tone. Um, but I think it's a disservice to, to Edgar to just say, oh, it's a, it's a comedy, as, as we're often asked about. He wants to do something very unique with it um, in the way that Alan did something very unique in, in The Dark World. Um, and Edgar, you know, uh, early on, going back years and years when he first was pitching it, pitched it um, as much as a heist movie as anything else. And that's exciting to us at Marvel because we love each of our films to, to take on um, uh, the characteristics of slightly different genres each mm -hmm. time. Um, the Dark World, some people describe it as a war movie in some places, as a romantic comedy in some places. I love that. Next year, Captain America the Winter Soldier is a wholly different genre than the first Captain America film, which is a 40s period piece. Um, and likewise, doing this uh, uh, heist uh, genre uh, in Ant-Man is exciting for us. So if, theoretically, you were to do a Doctor Strange film, hmm. what sort of genre do you think that could sit within? Well, uh, I don't want to say specifically because that's part of sort of our development process as we start to as we start to put it together. Um, but it's no secret that that the supernatural angle, the angle of, of alternates and parallel dimensions, we have not done in any of the films, um, and is not only a big part of the Doctor Strange comics. It's a huge part of the Marvel universe that we haven't explored yet. So I, I love the notion of uh, of tapping into all of that through Strange one day. And do you kick yourself for casting Idris Elba in Thor if he could have played Black Panther one day? <laughs> <laughs> He's amazing. I, 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 uh, for all the things you kick yourself for, is that one of them? No, I, I rarely <laughs> lament uh, um, casting great actors and great parts in, uh, in our existing movies. I'm being a bit cheeky, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask. Now, Alan, mm -hmm. I hear that you signed up to direct Terminator 5. I read that rumor online, and it was after I'd had one meeting with those really nice, smart people. Uh, I had no idea where it came from, but my agent called me and said, look out, because you might have to answer questions about this, uh, but yeah, it's an exciting rumor. So, and that's what it is at the moment. <laughs> I think uh, for now it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I think it's, it's officially. We're now officially in the world of rumors. Yeah, yeah. yeah world of, of everything yeah. being okay. questioned. So, uh, theoretically then. Which is a good world to be. Okay, it's, 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 it's exciting. Could you make a Terminator movie without Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, one could. I don't know that I would. <laughs> Kevin Fargie and Alan Taylor, uh, producer and director of Thor. Uh, mm -hmm. talking to Tom earlier on last week and Thor is, as you say Chris, already out in cinemas. Anything else coming out this week? There's lots of good indie films coming out this week, uh, none of which I've seen oh. but I've heard great things about all of them uh, Drinking Buddies and Short Term 12 a couple of American indies that are supposed to be very very good. Yeah. Uh, Milius is a documentary about John Milius. That's got to be worth seeing Got to be worth seeing it because he was a bloody bloke 
He was a man's man. You sounded so partridge when you said that. <laughs> that is the partridgeism. Yeah. And um, Phil- oh, speaking of partridge, Philomena, which is tipped for Oscar glory. Mm. Um, it's Judy Dench and Steve Coogan. Apparently, Steve Coogan is brilliant in it. Judy Dench is a shoe in for Oscar nomination for Best Actress. I think it's Stephen Frears. And it's based okay. on a true yeah. story. Um, God, I can't remember who, who, who Cougar's playing, but it's... He plays Martin Sixsmith. Martin Sixsmith. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's worth checking out if you want to see something serious, or if you don't, Thor's quite good fun. Anything you've seen recently that you could recommend? Oh, um, there is, but I just... I always forget what I've seen. <laughs> um, the last film I actually watched that sort of stuck with me was uh, the Coen Brothers' first film. Got around to watching that, Blood Simple. Blood Simple. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really it's a movie. Really. And uh, really inspired me as well. Um, I, and actually, I came from Sheffield's uh, Horror Festival last weekend. Saw a really good independent film called The Battery. It's about these two guys that are living in a zombie apocalypse sort of world. And there ain't that many zombies in it, though. It's like really low budget, but it's really clever, really intelligent and elegant. And yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Cool. Are, you, are you not over the whole zombie thing? Oh, um, I mean, I've got zombies tattooed on my arm. <laughs> do, you worry, do you worry that we're going to get to a saturation point now with, with zombies in the media? Oh, to be honest, I, I can take it or leave it. I mean, I don't, eat every, I don't eat every single film media with zombies in it. It's like, you know, I'm not even a big fan of Walking Dead. I watch it, but it's there and I like... Mm. But when something comes along and it surprises you, it's like, yeah, that's cool, man. I like it, yeah. Do you remember the first zombie movie you saw? Um, yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah? Yeah, the 1968 version. Mm. Nice. So I, I recorded it off TV and watched it the following morning and I missed church for it. And my mum said, um, what would father what would father so-and-so say if he knew you were watching X-rated films? I was like, fucking yes, I'm watching X-rated <laughs> material. Insane. <laughs> 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 um, games got out this week, Luke. Got any? Yeah, so um, Assassin's Creed 4 was out on Tuesday, so you can get that now. Battlefield 4 is out on Friday, um, as is WWE 2K14. Wow. So you yeah. still play those WWE games? There must be someone who does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, they keep making them. <laughs> Maybe that's why t- it didn't go so well for THQ. They just poured all their resources into it. Well, that's that. And pretty much, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for Have you got me. anything you want to plug? Um, just Ghost Burger. Go on to YouTube, search Ghost Burger, and you'll find a 20-minute claymation film to keep you entertained. And you've got a YouTube channel as well where people can see pretty yes. much everything. And my YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash deaf. Brilliant. Not as in I can't see and I can't hear. <laughs> to do with the dark, nasty death. Right. We got it. Death. (laughs) Death. Brilliant. Well, on that point, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Uh, God willing, we will all see you again next week, unless there is a zombie apocalypse or we're all eaten by ghosts or something. Until then, have a lovely week and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.